Hey everyone, this is the Detoxicity Podcast, and I'm Mike Joseph. Uh, before I launch into the usual spiel, I want to say that I hope everyone listening is safe and healthy. I also want to say how grateful I am that the first episodes of this show have been so well received. I appreciate your support of this podcast, so please make sure you mash that follow or subscribe button on whatever platform you're using to listen. Also, feel free to leave a comment and a rating on the podcast if the platform supports it. You can follow me on Instagram at It's Mike Joseph. And if you have an idea for a show, you'd like to be on the show yourself, or you have any type of feedback at all, drop me a line at detoxpod at gmail.com, or just use the hashtag detoxpod on Instagram and I will find you. Corporate America can be difficult to navigate. It's generally known that being anything other than a white heterosexual male can make climbing that ladder more challenging. Imagine being an intersectional minority and climbing that ladder. Well, in this episode, I talked to Will mckinney Rafelt, who is the director of hip-hop and R&B catalog at Sony Music and is redefining what it means to be a black, openly gay man in a corporate environment. Will and I talk about how growing up in a private school environment in the South shaped him. We also talk about his attraction to hip-hop, what it's like to have a gay twin, I mean an actual, literal gay twin, and how he manages a transcontinental marriage. This is a good one, y'all. I hope you enjoy my name is Will McKinney Raffelt. I am the Associate Director of Hip Hop and R&B Catalog for Sony Music. Uh, I have the honor of working on uh, amazing catalog at Sony from artists like Wu-Tang Clan, uh, Nas, Wyclef John, Destiny Child, Maxwell, just to name a few. And my job is basically to help keep these legends alive by uh, celebrating their iconic albums and uh, music uh, through creative campaigns and things like that. How did you get into music? Um, Alright, so I... Wait, so you mean music or music business? Starting with music. Okay, like cool, what, cool. What was your first yeah. exposure as a kid? My dad, uh, when I was only a few years old, he bought me, and I have a twin brother, and we, he bought us uh, Take Six and Stevie Wonder's characters. That was sort of like my introduction to music, and then through that, uh, he would always have Motown on in the house. Uh, he loved Bob Marley as well. And uh, Al Green, Love and Happiness is also one of my dad's <laughs> favorite songs. So there's always music playing in the house. My mother's a huge Luther Vandross fan, so there was always that. And then um, my relationship with music always starts there. But as I mentioned, I love hip-hop. And so my journey getting to hip-hop is uh, pretty interesting because uh, so the first sort of pop album outside of like my parents' music that I heard was Janet Jackson's Control. And uh, that was sort of like, a, oh, wow, this is a really amazing album. Like, this is nothing like what my parents have introduced me to. So that was sort of an eye-opening moment. Like, there are other things other than sort of just, like, old school, like, Motown soul and things like that. Slower, yeah, less right. contemporary. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So that was sort of like an eye-opening moment. And then the moment I got into hip-hop was Mary J. Blige's My Life. Uh, I heard the song on the radio, and that was like the first time that I had heard a song that no one else gave me and told me, oh, this is what you should be listening to. So that's really started like my, my love for hip-hop and love for music in general, was just like this discovery factor, hearing sort of this amazing uh, song that then uh, my sister's uh, husband at the time got me the My Life album. And that's when like I learned a little bit about Diddy, not really knowing who he was and what he did, but like hearing the influence that he had on that album, like that definitely really pushed me down the rabbit hole of falling into hip hop. Did you always want to work in the music business? Yes. 100%. From like... Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, So as I developed my love for hip hop even further and listening to more and more uh, music, 
like I did the whole Columbia CD Club thing <laughs> scam. My parents were not happy about that, but you know I got like TLC's Crazy Sexy Cool. I'm trying to remember what else I got from that, but um, you know thanks to BET, like Planet Groove and Rap City and Planet things like Groove. that. Oh yes, damn with Rachel. Yep. <laughs> I, just, I, I just had a, a flashback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you know I remember the box right. where you could uh, you know call Requesting, in. Or, yep. Yeah. Never got my videos played, but it's fine. <laughs> um, and yeah, just uh, experiencing all of these albums and stuff like that actually made me want to rap. And so I did. And don't ask me to freestyle now because I can't. I'm not going to ask you to freestyle now, but I will ask you if there's any recorded evidence. Of... There is, but I can't find it. And like, I'm disappointed because my husband really, really wants to hear it. I, it's somewhere. I'm going to find it. Okay. But so I was a Christian rapper and that's a whole other story. <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, there is recorded evidence, but you know what I'm saying? Like I really, really enjoyed hip hop. Just like could not get enough of it. Just experience it, particularly rap city, like running home to be able to see the freestyles and stuff like that. I was just like super immersed in it. Couldn't, um, you know, get enough of it. And then like I discovered Timbaland and Missy and that was kind of like, okay, these guys are super cool. And I kind of learned a little bit more. Like it's not just about being a rapper. It's like producer and stuff like that. So I started getting curious about, you know, what other ways of working in the music industry. I, through the interviews that I would see on these shows, heard that, like, being an artist was not really the greatest thing, <laughs> you know, not really making money. So I learned kind of early on that working as a rapper was probably not going to be a viable career, but I was so enamored with music. I was like, how can I figure out how to make a career out of this? And so um, around my sophomore year in high school we had college counseling and they asked me what I wanted to do and I'm like I want to work in the music industry and uh they were the ones who sort of led me down the path of discovering that I could major in music business so you grew up in Texas right Dallas Texas born your and whole raised. yep Oak Cliff Texas and you've been in New York now for 10 years okay yeah well, what's the biggest difference uh food one um <laughs> i'm not gonna say that new york food is bad because i think it's just different um you obviously have so many amazing types of food here from like you know uh asian cuisines from thai food and you know amazing sushi and things like that and there's you know really good stuff like that back home but like man it's like barbecue uh very rich soul food and things like that it's just a completely different vibe. And like Texas being so close to Louisiana, you get really good Cajun food and stuff like that. So that's like one of the biggest differences. But then like climate, I fucking hate winter. Like hate, 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 hate winter. Wish that it did not exist. I would love to find, and to this date, I have not found a black person that likes winter. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to think. I don't think I have any of my friends that like, are absolutely in love with it i know like you know some bigger dudes are like you know i sweat a lot in the summer so they prefer like fall and stuff like that don't anybody know anybody that loves winter like at all i would have to imagine i mean i grew up in new york yeah. i would have to imagine growing up in new york versus growing up in the south yep whether it's as a hip-hop fan or as, as a black person or yep. whatever it is it's a lot different and your folks your parents were both born in the U.S., right? They were. And they, they were. Did they, were they from the South originally? My mother was, uh, is, excuse me, uh, from East Texas. And my dad was from, he was born in Cleveland, Ohio, but mainly raised in Kentucky. In the 10 years you've been in New York, have you noticed anything, like, upbringing-wise that you were taught or that you got used to, that, aside from right. climate, obviously, yeah, yeah. that you had to just kind of, like, shake out when you Oh, yeah. I mean, here? if we're talking about differences, like, 
just the demeanor and like niceties of people. <laughs> when you're in the South, like everywhere you go, people wave and smile at you, and that's it. Like here, somebody's waving and smiling at you, they probably want something from you. Right. Uh, so yeah, like definitely just that Southern hospitality thing is very real. Here, you just don't really get, you know, people don't go out of their way for you, but I get it because everyone is trying to optimize their time and to be nice and kind doesn't always use your time wisely. Right. And not everyone is deserving of your time that way here. So I, I totally get it. But yeah, that's definitely very much uh, a big difference uh, between the South and here. Now, you mentioned that you were a Christian rapper for a period of time. <sighs> yeah, man. So you grew up, yes. obviously, in a religious household. I did. My dad was definitely not religious, but my mom very much was. We went to church two times a week Oh, on Sundays and Wednesdays. And I got to be honest, like... While we definitely had a Christian household, I never really felt like super restrictive in a sense that like I needed to be holier than thou. It wasn't like my mom was somewhat active in the church. She wasn't like, you know, on the usher board and things like that. So it wasn't super overbearing. And thankfully, I can say, that, at least for me, uh, it was non-denominational as well. So it wasn't like Southern Baptist or, you know, Pentecostal. So for me, I felt like I got a very middle of the road Christian perspective. Uh, it wasn't uh, too much of the overly preachy how to live your life, so to speak. Definitely live by the Bible and what the Bible says, but I felt like it just was a much more practical perspective of Christianity than what I come to know about other Christians that I meet and things like that. And maybe that is just how I took it. I certainly like knew certain people in the church who were extremely churchy, but like <laughs> I also went to a Christian college and, you know, we can talk about that, but, you know, just seeing the difference between the type of Christians that I knew from the church that I went to versus other ones that I met, I felt like it wasn't as intense as it probably is in certain other places. Uh, but yes, definitely very Christian household. Maybe the non-denominational part yeah. was helpful yeah. from that perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I do think that if you or your family subscribes to a certain denomination, it becomes mm -hmm. a lot more rules-based. Right, for sure, for sure. So, oh, that's interesting. I didn't I didn't know that. Uh... Yeah, but a heavy, like, in-church involvement. Um, my brother sings a little bit, uh, so he was on the praise team um, as we got into, like, high school. We were in the choir a lot. Um, it sucked for me because like, I really can't sing <laughs> and so the only thing I could do was like be in the bass section because that was like the best that I could do right <laughs> so uh, but yeah we were definitely in a choir a lot but as my love for hip hop grew um, it was kind of cool because like our church youth group was like very adamant about creating programming that was sort of relatable to the people in the program uh, so like as I developed more of my love for hip hop and started rapping and you know discovered I was pretty good at it uh, I actually asked, could, you know, we create like a hip hop, um, you know, ministry, basically. So we would have like hip hop dance and like stepping and like all of these elements and stuff like okay. that. So that, you know, again, was me sort of bringing what I'm experiencing and loving into a place that, you know, more or less forced being forced to go to right but it wasn't necessarily like you know you have to be in church you have to sing songs this way you have to dress this way they let us kind of do whatever we wanted to do so like again i feel very very lucky and thankful oak cliff bible fellowship was my church dr tony evans was my pastor i i i, I give them a lot of credit with the way that they've sort of run their operation because 
I feel like that's probably the best case scenario and way that you should, you know, experience religion if you're, you know, wanting to experience that. Earlier in our conversation, you mentioned your husband. Yes. You grew up Christian in the South. I did. And you're a hip hop fan. I am. There's a bunch of questions that then come up as a result of that. (laughs) Not the typical uh, mixture of things that you would get to then get to having a husband. Right. Yeah. When did you realize that you were not heterosexual? Very I guess early. I should preface that. How do you do you identify as queer, as gay? Or I identify as... as gay. Okay. Definitely. Uh, yeah, uh, very early. My earliest memory of being attracted to a guy was in first grade. My dad used to coach basketball, and there was a guy that played on his team that also went to my school. And my school was a private school that went from first to 12th grade, and it was all boys. Oh, wow. Uh, but, yeah, no, so my dad coached a uh, basketball team, and there's a guy on the team, um, tall, beefy, gender dude. And I just, you know, then wasn't attraction because that isn't you a thing. You don't know what it age. is. No, yeah. I just was magnetized by this dude. It's like, oh, he's really cool. I want to hang out with him. Getting a bit older into like middle school, fifth, sixth grade, there was definitely another guy in the school that like I was just like obsessed with. So I knew very clearly that was something that did it for me. And it's interesting because I never really felt like my attraction was wrong or that I was doing something wrong. I knew that it wasn't accepted because I would, you know, hear my classmates talk about things being gay or always sure. gay and stuff like that. But it never really registered to me that, and this is just me having this epiphany right now, it never really registered to me that like, oh, something about my sort of feeling for this person is wrong. It was there. I knew it, but I just knew I couldn't tell anybody. Did your elders ever, like, give you any admonishment, or did they ever just kind of say things about gay people in general that... I never really heard too much specifically about gay people. Uh, I knew early on, because, so, as I mentioned, I do have a twin brother, and we are both gay, and he is more feminine than I am. So I did know, uh, like, cousins and stuff like that would say certain stuff, about it and sort of be, you know, kind of like, oh, you know, why, why does, you know, he want to always hang out with the girls and stuff like that. Um, so there were certain parts of that that I picked up on and definitely saw like, okay, something about this attraction and this acting, you know, less like a man Quote unquote, yes, yes, I am air quoting. Yes, that was sort of perceived very negatively and like something to make fun of, right? And so, as a result, it definitely shaped my perception pretty early. Okay, there's something about this that people don't agree with, and I don't really know what, but it's clear that everyone seems to have an opinion about that. Um, but other than that, like other relatives and stuff like that. I don't really recall that. Um, My earliest, though, sort of recollection of, like, being confronted with being around actual gay people was with my big cousin, Ronnie. He is the first family member I came out to, and I can tell that story, too. But uh, I remember we were at his college graduation, uh, and I was probably 13, 14 at the time. And some of his friends that he graduated with, uh, he graduated from Morehouse Morehouse College in in Atlanta, were definitely very gay. And I remember, like, my cousins being like, you know, what's up with Ronnie's friends? Like, they're so fucking gay. All this (laughs) stuff. And I'm just like, oh, man, like, this is really a thing. 
whatever. So I'm just having to like at that point. Then I'm like, all right, I I know. So like I'm pushing pushing it down. It down. Ultimately, what was your coming out process like? <sighs> oh man, because it doesn't sound like you ever really had a crisis. No. As I mentioned, I went to an all-boys school my entire life. So being confronted in that environment was very interesting because, one, it was particularly white, very, very predominantly white. I would get comments from people like I went to church with, like my friends outside of school. And, you know, they're like, oh, man, all boys, oh, that's like awful, blah, blah, blah. So, like, again, this whole sensitive of being around nothing but guys is sort of looked at in a weird way. Right. So that definitely sort of shaped, like, just the general perception. So... Which is funny to me, considering what you just said about your brother, because right. it's like, okay, you can't hang around just guys. Right. You can't hang around just girls. Right, It's right. like, where, where do you fit Yeah, in? yeah, yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. So it's a lot of confusion going on. Right. So basically, as I'm getting into high school, it's very clear that my brother's also gay. And we're both, he, he also knows that I'm gay. I never really said it, but like we started like surfing around online and stuff like that. Uh, shout out to AOL. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I had, you know, we were basically kind of like fighting over computer time. Cause my dad only had one computer at the time. And so, by that point in time, and plus, like, him seeing me interacting around girls, like, he knew. He's my twin brother. Like, right, yeah. Do knew. twins really have, like, that kind of... Kind of. I mean, I definitely, because we spend so much time together, we know how we are kind of feeling about things and what things push each other's buttons. Like, sure. brothers in general. Right. Like, you know what pushes each other's buttons. But being twins, like, you're a little bit more in sync because you're forced to kind of do everything together all the time. So definitely there were a lot of times where just perception wise, we could perceive kind of how we were feeling about certain stuff. So he, he definitely knew. And we're you all in like a lot of the same, did y'all go to the same school? We or did. The same yeah, classes, yeah. Uh, we were in the same classes and all of that. And so, um, and you never got to a point where you were like, I'm sick of you. Um, yeah, I did. Okay. I did. Uh, actually, I definitely said, I don't want to go to the same college as you. And it like kind of really pissed him off. Um, we did end up going to the same colleges, but it was really tough because I think being a twin also sort of shaped uh, the dynamic and difficulty of coming out because having to always be grouped together made things very difficult because we were always, you know, compared and, you know, we were presented as a unit. People call us the twins all the time. Right. So having identity of self was very challenging to come by. And so as a result of that, uh, I felt the need to try to distance myself to be able to try to fight for my own sort of, you know, being identity. seen. Yeah, my own yeah. identity and being seen. So unfortunately, that pushed me to sort of like not protect my brother when he was really starting to like have a challenge of hiding who he really was right because it was very visible for him whereas for me like i got into sports and stuff like that and so that really started a process of me like pretending then and like acting straight purposely trying to date girls and pushing anything that had to do with being gay as far away from me so that the attention and ridicule didn't come my way sure so the coming out story is that we basically my parents saw gay.com in the browser history and they were like, who's been on this website? And I lied and I was like, I don't know, it wasn't me. 
because <laughs> I was... So you threw your brother under the bus, big basically. Big time, big time. No, not basically. I did, like, hard body. Um, <laughs> I have since apologized, and I'll get to that. But because of everything that I had understood about it being so negative, like, I didn't know how my parents was going to react. So, like, I was fucking scared as hell. Sure. So, and how old were you when this happened? Probably 14, 15. Okay. Way too young to be on this fucking okay. site. Okay.com? So, you know, yes, yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> In that conversation, he then turned around and told my parents how people were making fun of him and that I wasn't protecting him. So then they got like super mad at me because they're like, this is your brother. You shouldn't be, you know, treating him that way. It was just kind of like they had the conversation. I wasn't really privy to what their conversation was. Uh, I just know that they talked about it and he still lived in the house. So obviously it went pretty well. Right. Uh, and I didn't hear anything to like, you know you got to get out of my house or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Uh, or like my dad, like re reacting so negative, like, you know, I've heard where, you know, people have been, you know, beat because they're exhibiting these signs. Yeah. So thankfully, you know, for him, that didn't really happen. So then fast forward, I don't even remember how much time in between it happened. Like we kind of like stayed away from it from a little, for a little bit, but then we kind of, uh, Started getting back on it again, but trying to be more careful, clearing browser, browser history and stuff. And somehow we got caught again. Oh, man. I know, right? So, now, how long between the first instance of it happening and the second remember. instance of it happening? It was probably a matter of months. Wow. So, at this point, I'm probably around 16. And the question comes up again so, who's been on the sites? And my brother was like, it wasn't me. So then my dad is looking at me like, well, what's going on with you? I just didn't know how to be honest about it. So I lied and said, I'm just confused. And so he was like, well, if you have any questions, you can ask me. But I don't want this shit on my computer, which is more than fair. Yeah, man's paying it's the his bills, computer. It's his computer. It's his internet. Yeah. It's his electricity. That's right. So uh, I basically lied and said, you know, that I'm confused. And at this time, like, I didn't have any gay friends at all. Um, I, to this day, like, for the people that uh, I graduated uh, high school with, I only know a handful of them that were actually gay, and there were no no, no people that I was ever hanging out with. Okay. Um, were they openly gay back then? Not really. There was one that was, like, a bit older than us, uh, and I do remember him getting made fun of. Like, somebody had, like, wrote his phone number in the bathroom and was like, we'll get blowjob or something ah. like that. Like, super nasty right. shit. Um, so, um, I just, you know, never really hung out with anyone who was allowing me to be that way. And my best friend at the time, me and him were like super tight. He also loved hip hop. He also loved to dance and God rest his soul. Unfortunately, he committed suicide. Ooh. I do think that on some level he was struggling with his sexuality too. We never really had any interaction in that kind of way whatsoever, but uh, I definitely remember certain instances of him like being overly aggressive and sort of trying to show his macho-ness. Yeah. After that other incident, I didn't really fully come out until, well, I came out in high, like to my peers in high school uh, going into my senior year. Because at that point, I'm like, man, what am I doing? I'm trying to like appease all these people and pretend to be someone I'm not and, you know, pushing my brother like, out there sure. and like not being a good human being basically. And so I, you know, told one or two people and like the second person I knew had a big ass mouth 
and I kind of let that be that. Oh, in high school, it's yeah. like a game of telephone. Oh, 100%. Man. 100%. I was dating a guy at the time, and he made me tell my mom that I was gay because he wanted to meet her. And I was like, okay, and was like really, really nervous. I um, kind of told her before I was going to attract me, and I said, and he is actually going to come to watch the track meet and he wanted to meet you. And it was just, it was awkward as hell. I bet. I don't even remember like the conversation. It was short. She just wasn't really with it. And like her main thing about it was like, well, what does the Bible say? What have you been taught in church and all this stuff? And so she never was just like, uh, you're throwing your life away or anything like that. She was just like, I, this is not what you were taught per se. Why do you think that this is something that you want to do? Sure. Um, and she kind of just left it at that. I don't know. My parents have been pretty good most of my life about not trying to tell me what to do with my life. My mom is very, very opinionated about <laughs> ways to live my life. Sure. But they've never been so adamant being like, this is what you're going to be. Uh, even when I told them I want to work in the music industry, at being in Texas, you don't fully have any sort of perception of like what it means to work. Yeah, in the music like business. what is the music industry? Yeah, and they never were like, you can't do that. That is how I told my mom. And then my dad, we were moving into my dorm, and I had a big box of like textbooks and shit. And I somewhere had gotten a like gay lifestyle magazine, or it's like a fitness magazine or something. So he's pulling boxes or uh, books out of the box and he sees the magazine. He's like, all right, you keep saying that you're confused, but there are signs that always pop up to say otherwise. Like, are you gay or you're not? I was like, I'm gay. He's like, okay. And I was like, all right. And then me and him had to go to Walmart. My mom stayed back. She was quiet the whole entire time. So then we were in the car. He said a very selfish thing. He was like, you know, I've done a lot of shitty things in my life, but I never thought I'd never end up with any grandchildren. I guess that's the price I have to pay. Because me and my twin brother wow. are his only namesake. So, yeah. Do Did he walk that back at any point? Not, not that. I actually never brought that up. That's interesting. Okay. No, he hasn't walked that back. Um, he is completely fine with everything now. Like, he loves my husband. Both of my parents do. They love my husband. Very, very open and receptive to him. It, it took a while. Like, I had a, another guy that I was dating... Um, we went out to dinner. It was when I first moved to New York and we were out to dinner and so at the end of dinner, I'm not even thinking. And I kind of sit on his lap and like put my hand on his head or whatever. And my mom tells me after the fact, like, you know, that made your dad really uncomfortable. And then another relationship, the first person I ever brought home when the first year we came, my parents were like, you need to sleep in a separate room. One morning got up and went to go check on him and like kind of laid down next to him and I fell asleep for a little bit. I got up to go back to my room, and when I opened the door, my dad's walking by in the hallway, and he just looks at me. I kind of, like, follow him down the hall, and I'm trying to go in my room. He's like, and he was like, I thought our arrangement was that you two would be sleeping in separate rooms. I was like, oh, yeah. He was like, oh, yeah, my ass. <laughs> I don't know what happened that year and the following year, because the next year I brought the same guy back, and then they're like, well, there's a lot of people staying here, so I guess you guys can just sleep back there. And from like, it, there was never no formal acknowledgement of like, uh, well, that's not entirely true. From at that moment, there wasn't really any formal acknowledgement. Of like, you know, we we had this stance before, but we feel they this way it. now. Yeah. yeah, they just started just being like, okay, like I guess when I brought him home again, like, well, 
Shit ain't gonna change. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're gonna have to right. get used to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But my dad has at times say that, you know, I'm really proud of you. Uh, I know that I was hard on you guys growing up, but I'm just happy that you're happy. And that's kind of saying it, but not saying it. Saying it's like, it, right. I accept you flaws and all. It's like, he has said this to me like many times, like, you're my son and I love you. Right. That's all that I need to know. Well, you know, parents have that pride thing, right? Yeah. Where they're like, you know, well, I'm not going to acknowledge that I was wrong before. That's a fact. But yeah. I'll say something. So they know, but they don't really, I don't have to sacrifice my pride by saying I'm sorry or yeah. I did something wrong. I'm curious. I don't know how common that is for particularly black children. Yeah, it's not. I could actually say I have uh, a really good friend growing up. Uh, we call him like our cousin, which is not blood cousin, but his parents. Play cousin. Play cousin. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, his parents reacted the exact opposite. They kicked him out. Right. They're like, if you're going to live your life that way, you can't, you can't live here. And like, he was like, okay, well, I'm not going to live my life that way. But then they found, like, some notes or something that he wrote to uh, the guy that he was dating or whatever, and they kicked him out, basically. And, yeah. No, I, res I respect your parents for being, you know, respectful towards you and treating treating you like an actual human being Definitely. and not being judgmental. Right. Or not being aggressively judgmental. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> or, or, you know, badly judgmental. Right. So switching gears a little bit. Okay. How... You know, we live in 2020, and any sort of alternative sexuality is a lot more accepted in the world Absolutely. than it was when you were younger or when I was younger. Right. But there's still, hip-hop is still a very, like, quote-unquote masculine place. Very much so. Uh, based in a lot of old notions of what masculinity is. 100%. You know and I know that homosexuality and masculinity are not mutually exclusive. At all. I think a lot of people in the hip-hop community, particularly from an artist's perspective, because they have images that they need to protect. 100%. Yeah. Do feel like they're mutually exclusive. Right. But you work within hip-hop, and you're a hip-hop fan, as am I. Right. How do you manage that? And you're also working with a different generation of rappers. And I think that's probably the biggest difference in what uh, where I sit. Because, like, I... Kind of made a conscious decision not to work directly with like new hip hop, and it wasn't really because of my sexuality. I think my sexuality did have play, play a part in that. I do know that in a front line, in front line for anyone that doesn't know, is like just like the the releasing new music basically. So uh, if you're trying to work with like Beyonce or Justin Timberlake or Twenty One Savage and releasing their new albums, that means you're working at front line, and I just came to understand that like the front line mentality was just a different kind of hustle. Um, it was all about, you know, kissing ass and like trying to appease and please people. And I knew that my sexuality would probably give me a difficult time in that appeasing. And I just did not want to go back to pretending to be someone I'm not. One thing I didn't mention, just as a quick sidebar, sure. when I went to college, I kind of went back in the closet because I was hanging around a bunch of the Christian people that I was talking about that were different very judgmental, very much in the church. Right. And it made me feel like I couldn't, you know, be myself around them because particularly since I went to predominantly white school my whole life, I wanted to hang out with the black kids. Right. I finally had a, a lot more black kids than I ever had in my life to hang out with uh, in terms of, like, school setting. That uh, definitely pushed me back in the closet. So I didn't want to go back to that in terms of my career. So it kind of just pushed me away from that. Sure. I think early on when I first moved here, I was a little bit hesitant of, you know, putting myself out there. But the more and more that I just was like, this is who I am, 
I didn't like go out of my way to normalize it, but I just, instead of making a thing like, hey, I'm gay, you know, I would just be like, you know, oh, well, if I was dating somebody, they'd be like, oh, you know, who is, you know, where's she from? I was like, oh, he is from, and I would just. Let it sit there. Let it sit there. And the more and more I kept doing that, the more and more sort of just like comfortable I felt like I could do that. And now in my current sort of job role, being that I work with a different generation of older artists, while it's very true that I think a lot of them probably still have some misgivings about homosexuality, I haven't really had any like real issues with it. But I do think as we're talking about masculinity, I benefit from a privilege of having a level of masculinity. They're not feeling push to be sort of disrespectful to me. And so sort of having that as just my natural personality, I think has shielded me from that. And I haven't really had to deal with too much of that. But like, I was just with the Wu-Tang guys this week. Like they're very aware of my husband and all that. And they really don't care. So uh, I am pretty lucky in that way of not really having to deal with that or having to be confronted with that. Thankfully, I haven't been in a situation where they assume that I'm straight and, like, say something to where <clears throat> I've then had to, like, all right, I got to check you because right. you're saying something really fucked up. I've been pretty lucky to bypass a lot of that, but I think, again, my natural demeanor has sort of circumvented that from being front and center. And that's an interesting thing to unravel, and I've been thinking a lot about that lately just in terms of in terms of my own life and the conversations that I've been having recently, also, it comes from both sides, right? right. Straight people are not going to assume you're gay necessarily unless right. you act a certain way. For sure. Whereas I also think gay and bisexual men mm -hmm. catch shit mm -hmm. for acting a certain way or not acting a certain 100%. way from other gay men. That is very fair because I think at, as you get into being around other gay people, there's certainly some sort of expectation of the way to carry yourself as a gay person. Right. And when you don't sort of subscribe to that, then they look at you like, well, you know, aren't you supposed to be gay? So there's definitely, I think, on both sides, a lot of stereotypes that are put upon uh, men in particular. Uh, and I can only speak from a man perspective. One, I am a man. Two, right. I've only dated men, and I primarily hang out with men. Uh, so uh, I'm not saying that this is exclusive, but from my experience... Yeah, I caught a lot of shit. You did, uh, 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 like, um, a town hall sort of... Yeah, the panel. Yeah, a panel discussion right. called Being Your True Self at Work. 100%. And yeah. I brought up that same topic. Right, 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 right. And perhaps presumptuously said that it's probably more difficult for men than it is for women. Right. And I got shouted down a little bit. Yeah, yeah So, yeah, I mean, yeah. not that I don't... I'm sure there is a, an alternate perspective to that. 100%. I just don't know. Yeah, don't know it because it's not the reality that we've experienced. So, right. Yeah, no, I totally get that. Definitely, like, bisexual men particularly, like, it's very difficult, I think, for them. And it, it's unfortunate because it's a concept that most gay men can't wrap their head around because they're like, well, I didn't like women, so I started dating men. And it's almost like a point of frustration being like, oh, well, you're selfish if you want to try to give it both. And it's just like, you're actually the one being selfish because you're wanting to hoard this person's experience for yourself. Right, it, it dehumanizes. Yeah, it does. You're, you're, you're I guess, um, diminishing that person down to sex, basically. Right. 
um, instead of seeing the whole person and sort of the variety of experiences and things that they've gone through that have shaped who they've become as a person and what their desires and wants are. How does being black and being gay like intersect? Um, Particularly in a corporate world, yeah. you know, we both work in corporate environments. For sure. Being black and being gay, and it's not even like a moving up the corporate ladder thing, it's an existing everyday 100%. in life thing. Yeah. How do you manage all of that? So from a professional standpoint, I think I got this question on the panel too. Uh, I've never had my sexuality be a thought of why someone is treating me differently. It's always about skin color first. Because that's the thing that people see. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I'm more so there as a representative of a fan and student of hip-hop culture. And being that I have to sort of work with artists and music that uh, has a different way of reaching their audience from like rock and pop and stuff like that. I'm sort of having to put myself uh, mentally in a in a thought process of like how to reach fans who are like me. So that part of me, as far as my sexuality goes, doesn't really play a whole lot professionally. Personally, uh, the intersection is really fucking difficult. Uh, less difficult now because I'm married. Uh, hey, baby. <laughs> uh, but, we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> yeah. But uh, from a dating perspective, yeah, like the intersection hits really fucking hard because gay culture in general is reductive as we mentioned about like you know sort of whittling things down to sex and may get flack from saying that but you know i agree with you in that it is reductive then it is purely basing the way that you interact people and the people you want to be around with the level of attraction that you have for the person and there are is a large swath of people in the gay community who are very much against being around not being around but being with people of color i have definitely not been able to you know interact with certain people because they're like i'm not into black guys what does that have to do with wanting to hang out with somebody it's crazy it's definitely <laughs> crazy i mean granted you know i will say in my you know years not all of it was you know pure intention of just trying to hang out some of it sure. was like you know sexual attraction right. but i definitely you know you go on instagram and, and just see certain people like their circle is one type of people and they generally tend to look a lot alike which is kind of scary it's clone culture man yeah it's really really interesting definitely have had struggles with that and you know it's crazy because you're basically you're not saying like oh we're sexually incompatible because you know i'm a top and i'm looking for a bottom or vice versa or like i only want you know oral or things like that you're basically saying how you were born is not attractive to me is basically where I get from. Cause it's not like, again, it doesn't go back to like, Oh, well you're, you know, a thick beefy guy or you're super slim or you're short or whatever. It's like, I'm not into black guys. So they're completely writing off every other attribute that I have right. with the exception of my skin. And that is super fucked up. I wish that it weren't the case, but I, I do get, you know, and understand about people having preferences because that's what a lot of people come sure. back and say. It's a preference. But when you're completely sort of turned off by a skin color altogether, that's something deeper than preference. That is more so a mental block about finding beauty in the skin color altogether. Right. Which some may say that that's racist. Very well put. You're off the market. 
Yep. But I'm on I the am. market. Yep. So <laughs> I, I'm on the apps and right. whether it's skin color or demeanor right. or weight, everybody's got their kink, whatever. Right. I try not to be, you know, I've got preferences, but it doesn't, I don't exclude anybody. Like I tend to date uh, masculine. I hate using that word to describe yeah. people. I like guys who fly under the radar. Understood. Understood. Um, But I have dated people that were not like that. Right. And if I vibed really well with somebody like that, I wouldn't give a shit. Right. So it's just a matter of the options. There are things that I like more than others. Right. But I don't close the door to anything. That's really interesting. So yeah. when you say flying under the radar, I guess, do you mean just more straight passing, I guess? I, I, you know, I used to think that it was straight passing, but now I even think that like bro dudes, like yeah. really loud, obnoxious bro dudes yeah. are super unattractive to me. So Understood. it's a personality thing. Right. It's really flamboyant. You know, you can be really flamboyant in a quote unquote feminine way. Right. You can be really flamboyant in a quote unquote masculine way. For sure. And they both kind of turn me off yeah, equally. Yeah, I understand that. I understand that. Okay. Like, I just don't like people who draw a lot of attention to themselves. Okay. That is totally understandable because I guess me knowing you, you're a low key dude. Right. And so being with someone who's, you know, as you say, flamboyant, it's interesting. I've never heard flamboyant described in the masculine way like that, but like, it's very accurate. So I get that. I totally get that. And like, yeah, when it comes to preferences, now I will say, like I told you, my first crush was like this big beefy, you know, ginger dude. Yeah. Big beefy dudes has always been like my thing. Um, my mom actually pointed out to me once, when I brought home my, uh, the, the one, one guy that I actually brought home, because that was like the second person she had ever met. So okay. she was just like, so, fat white dudes, that's your <laughs> thing, huh? <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> Damn. I was not ready for that. That caught me completely <laughs> off guard. And so did I underscore that, because, you know, her pointing out that, you know, white dudes, that has always been an interesting intersection for me. I have definitely been with, you know, all kinds of guys. My preference has been more so for white and Latino guys. Right. And I don't really know where to place that other than, I was talking, to have this conversation with my husband. Most times when I look at dudes of color, particularly black dudes, I see my family. I see my brothers. I see my cousins. I see my best friends. Right. And there's never any sort of sexual undertones in those situations. Right. So for me, there's some sort of block there with certain guys that I see, I'm like, I don't think I would be able to go through with a sexual experience with this person because I'm immediately a, a triggering that sort of connection. It's a different sort of mental... Right, 100%. Because... Association. 100%. All the black men that have been in my lives have been family members or people like in the church and stuff like that. I never... I had literally... There was three other black guys in my high school class. Damn. Besides me and my twin brother, there were three others. Was that like a neighborhood thing or was it like a... I mean, it was a very prestigious private school. Right. So there was a you know process of getting in, but there's a lot of people who have money and they pay their way to get in. And so because they have the access, they have, they're taking up the majority of the spots there, but they do leave some room for, you know, diversity and stuff. But yeah, so that was always kind of like my association and experience with men of color. And I want to try to find a way of being more open-minded to it. I just know outright that's sort of more the preference uh, that I go for. When I got those kind of responses, like it really made me feel a way because it was just like, yo, what the fuck? 
Because it's like, you're not even looking at me as a person. Right. It, it, it Going back to the dehumanization. Right. It dehumanizes Well, yeah. And they, it definitely put me in a place of like, this is shitty. But I will say, to sort of counter that, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever been in this situation. If you're dating a white guy, mm-hmm. and, and obviously this isn't all non-black people, dating or on an app or whatever. Right. And... There are some people of other ethnicities that really hypersexualize black men. One thousand percent. And turn you either into like a dick or an ass. Oh, 100%, so yeah, you're not yeah. a human, you're like a yep. black dick or a black ass. BBC. I, I, have you had to navigate that before? Oh, all this fucking time. It's not so much infuriating to me when I first first got I was like, Oh, this is weird. Oh like I oh, I really love black guys. And it's like, oh, okay. But then, as I got older, I really started to understand what that meant. That, like, it doesn't really matter what you look like. Just because you're black, they want you. Right. And, like, again, that dehumanizing factor and, like, equating you to, like, a big dick. It's really fucked up. Like, then you just kind of look at the person like, yo, something's wrong with you. (laughs) Like, you have something mentally wrong with you. You have read too much porn. Yeah. I don't know what it is. It's just, like, this super fascination. And, like, I know so many guys that I've come across. And I told my husband this time the other day, and he laughed so hard. But I call them chocolate chasers. All they do, like, if you add them on Facebook or they add you on Facebook, I look at who we know. And all of them are like, you know, a large block of black dudes. I'm right. like, all right, I see what's going on here. But yeah, no, I've definitely gotten, you know, messages like, oh, how big is it? You know, oh, you're black, so it must be big, all this kind of stuff. It really sucks that, you know, people can sort of devalue what you have to offer down to just that one thing. Same. Early on, I definitely kind of played into it a little bit because I'm like, oh, well, you know, this guy really wants me. But then I kind of understood where it came from. So let's talk about your husband. Okay. How did you it. meet your husband? Oh, man. On an app, an uh, app called Growler. Uh, it is the uh, thick, beefy dude version of Grinder. And they As have... opposed to Scruff, which is... Also similar. <laughs> okay. yeah, it's very similar. Uh, they have a global page, and I happened to be scrolling it, and I saw his very, very cute face. Aww. And I uh, slid in the DMs real quick. Uh I say big beefy dudes is my thing. Bears is basically what the community is defined as sure. uh, if we're talking about gay subgroups. And so within the bear community, they have this penchant and desire to wolf at you <laughs> to denote that they find you attractive. Yes. And it's weird because dogs wolf, bears don't. Don't know where that came well, yeah, from. We don't know what the etymology of that is. Yeah. I mean, I was once a significantly bigger person. Word, word. And I wasn't old enough to be identified as a bear. For I sure. identified as a cub. Yep. But the wolf thing, and I think I even brought that up in conversation a couple times, like, bears don't wolf. Bears don't, don't really say anything, they actually. They, but they, yes. they, they growl, I guess, but like I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> so on the app, they have like preset messages that you can send to people. So what a lot of people do to get your attention is wolf at you. Right. So that you know, like, hey, I think you're attractive. So I wolfed at him, he wolfed back at me, and then I unlocked my pictures and he unlocked his. Which is standard fare when you're looking to hook up because you're basically trying to see what the goods are. Because uh, nine times out of ten, they're new pictures. So out the gate, you know, it was very clear, like, you know, I find you attractive. Uh, I like how you look, both with and without clothing. Uh, and it was vice versa. But uh, he was in Germany. So, like I said, it was a global page. He was in Germany. I was in New York. So we kept it light. I didn't really have any intention of, like, having a real serious interaction with him. It's like, you're in fucking Germany. I have no plans to be in Germany anytime soon. So uh, just kind of out of sight, out of mind. 
so we exchanged messages here and there and this was October or it started in August 2015 and then the last time that we talked before we actually got into a mindset of like trying to actually see what we were going to do dating wise so around that time I was in a situationship with someone who lives <laughs> in Ohio shout out to Snow Allegra yeah right <laughs> <laughs> So we had added each other on Facebook, and I saw that he got in a relationship. So I was like, oh, good for him, whatever. Uh, so I, you know, wasn't even really entertaining him up front in any kind of serious way. So I just kind of moved on. So then my situationship ended in February that year. So around mid-end of March, we picked back up conversation. Oh, and the way we ended up picking back up conversation is because so me and my best friends were going on vacation to Provincetown in Cape Cod. And my best friend uh, was in a relationship at the time. Him and his partner had a house that got flooded. And so instead of trying to find another place that they were going to stay in, they said, we're going to do something different. We're going to go to Sicha, Spain for a bear event that they do there. Every okay. Year. And I had heard about it because we were going to Provincetown for bear week. They were going to try out this one in Spain. So he joined, my best friend joined a Facebook group of four people going to the event and they, and he basically just put out there, hey, never been to this, would love to make new friends. And through that, uh, started chatting with my husband. <laughs> so uh, they basically were intending to hang out in Spain, have sex and all that kind of stuff. So they added each other on Facebook. When he did, he saw that I was uh, one of his mutual friends. And he was just like, oh, hey, you know this dude. He uh, was somebody I was talking to on Growl or whatever. And he was just like, oh, yeah, we're going to hang out at Sitches. And I was like, oh, that's what's <laughs> up. Damn. Uh, I'm so happy for you because he's really fucking hot. Right. Um, and I was like, yeah, you know, we were chatting, but he was in a relationship or whatever. And he was like, oh, well, he's single now. They just broke up. But I was like, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, um... Love you, sis, but you got a man. Excuse me. Right, yeah, for real. <laughs> and slid the DMs. I didn't really think anything was going to come out of it, but I, I followed back up with him. I was like, hey, how you been? Blah, 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 or whatever. And so the conversation just kind of pivoted, like, pretty quickly for him sort of saying, like, so what are you looking for? And I was like, I'm looking for a significant connection. Because at the time, like, I was so tired of just, like, random hookups and stuff like that. It just got to the point where it's like, damn, like, I don't necessarily need it to turn into a relationship, but I at least need it to be a little bit more significant and there being more substantial feelings than just, like, just trying to get a quick nut. And I was like, how about you? And he's like, I'm tired of being a lone wolf. I'm trying to find my partner in crime. And so he was like, do you want to FaceTime? And I was like, I usually barely get dudes to give me their number to text, let alone FaceTime, but you can do that. So uh, later that week, we FaceTimed and we ended up talking for like three hours. And like literally from the moment we say hello, which, you know, got to do the, <clears throat> hey, hey, how's it going? Right, Put yeah, you got to get your, get your sexy voice right, on. Right, yeah. And, uh, but like the minute he said hello, I was just like, fuck, I just loved everything about him. But we talked for like three hours. And then from there, we talked every single day. For about a month and then you know he's like i really want to meet you really feel a strong connection here and i was like man i agree but uh i've already committed to this vacation in uh massachusetts and i really don't have any money to get to europe and he was like well when do you have some time free so i looked at my calendar and i had like this one upcoming weekend free and he was like all right cool let me get back to you and this motherfucker came back and was like i just got 10 days to prove off should i book a flight whoa I was like, what? <laughs> He's German, so he's very fucking direct. Uh, and yeah, he um, was like, yeah, I, I want to come and spend some time there. And I was like, 
okay, well, that was a lot more time than I expected. Ten days in New York City is kind of expensive. Do you want to stay with me? And he could tell that I was, like, being polite. And he was like, look, I get this. This is very unconventional uh -huh. and a little aggressive. But I really, really like you. Uh, I feel a strong connection here, and I want to see where it goes. And if it's weird, I have no problem getting a hotel. And I was like, okay. And thankfully, he didn't need to get a hotel. Big shout out to the hubby. Because <laughs> he saw what he wanted, and he went for it. He did. He did. And um, that was kind of been the thing. As a chaser, I always found I was the one having to pursue and, like, try to find the significant other. Where, in this instance, this is one of the first times that someone genuinely pursued me in a way that's like, no, fuck everything else. I want you. And as a Scorpio, I was like, okay, <laughs> all right. You want me? Come get me. That's crazy. Yeah. And it worked. It did. It did. He put a ring on it. How does it feel to be... Married, A, just in terms of being a married person, and right. B, being a married person when five years ago it wouldn't have been legal for you to be married. Being a married person is an amazing feeling. And also being in a long-distance marriage. Yes. Yeah, he still lives abroad. He is in London at the moment. Um, being married is an amazing feeling because it takes a deeper level of relatability to a person when you make that decision. You're saying that you understand me on a level and support me on a level that I want to basically commit to you for the rest of my life. Being able to find someone to say that to is always something that I wanted, um, but actually knowing it without a shadow of a doubt that he genuinely has my back, wants the best for me, and pushes me to be the best person I can be is an absolutely incredible feeling that I wish everyone in this world can experience. That's amazing. One of the things that I've come to understand about, I guess, my personality, with being a black person, we've always been told you got to be twice as good, you got to do this, whatever. Yeah. And, like, not doing was never a thought. Like, we have to do. In order to achieve and to succeed in this world, you have to do. So as I wanted to be in the music industry, I wanted to go to a particular college, Belmont University in Nashville, to study music business, I achieved that. When I finished that, I said, I'm going to move to New York. I achieved that. I wanted to find a job at a record label. I achieved that. So as I continue to achieve things, I don't necessarily get too hung up on the significance. And I think on some level it's purpose because I feel like it freaks me out. But all the same, I'm very thankful that we have the right to do it because for me, it was never something that I felt like shouldn't be there. And being sort of a millennial, I guess, in, in a world of perpetual change, it's kind of like sort of just like a, okay, good. I'm glad that I can now do what I know that I should have the right to do. So in general, it's a great feeling to know that I can do it. I mean, you know, he is from Germany. It's legal there. Mm -hmm. He lives in the UK. It's legal there. Uh, so it is really great to be able to say that I am married to the love of my life who is not, by society's definition, what they think it should be. Oh, the long distance thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, whew. That is a motherfucker. Which uh, you intend to change yes, I at do. some point. It, it, this year, not some yeah. point. This year. <laughs> <laughs> um, so shout out to all my people out there uh, in relationships like this. Long distance is a motherfucker. Not being able to come home to the person that 
really makes your life complete is one of the hardest things in the world, particularly when you're in a very rigorous career like mm-hmm. you're in. We see each other every month. So when he did that 10-day trip, after that, he came back every month for six months straight. Ow. So I used to joke and say, God forbid if we ever break up, it's going to be hard out here for these dudes. Like, <laughs> a word, you're not trying to get on the train to Jersey, bet. I had a motherfucker get on the plane with me from Germany. From Germany. So I don't need this. I'm going to find me. No, I'm just playing. But uh, it's very, very fucking hard having to schedule my life around when we can talk because he's five hours ahead. I have to plan my life around that and like make the time to be able to talk because after a certain point, he's sleep. So, you know, um, that was probably the challenge up front for sure was sort of like rearranging my life and making time. But as we really got serious about everything, it was clear that making the time was, you know, important. Um, so it just sort of became second. It's like, I wanted to make time. It's like, you're an important person to me. I will make the time. I, one of my, my, one of my first relationships, he told me this and it sticks with me today. You make time for the things you want to do. That's right. And that is a fucking fact. That's right. There's no two ways about it. Like when you're busy, it's understandable, but if there's something you really want to make happen, you will find a way. Uh, so one of the main things that we realized that was helpful for us to navigating this is always making the plan when when we're going to see each other next. And that was something that a friend of mine uh, advised to us, um, shout out to Mario and Hokum. That was one of the things that uh, they told us was like, you have to make that plan to always know when you're going to see the other person because it makes it suck a little bit less. Instead of like counting how long it's been that you've seen the person, you're counting down the days. Days until you see them again. Yeah. Right. That's the best way that we've been able to make it work. Other than that, like, you know, communication has been like super key. Thankfully, again, him being German, he's very direct. Uh, He wears his heart on his sleeve like I do. So he has no problem iterating how he feels. I'm able to do the same in a way that it's not like taken the wrong way. And there is the, um, I guess, difference in he's German and I'm American. So there's cultural differences. And also, he's like mostly white German. He's half uh, his, or Latino, excuse me. He's uh, half Argentinian. But like he's European, he's German. Like in me being a Southern black American, like there's big cultural differences. So there were times a lot early on where we had to like over explain how we were feeling about something or about like <laughs> funny example. When uh, he got introduced to my mother, he called her Sandra. If you know anything about black you mothers... You do not call a black woman by her yeah, first name. At all. So uh, when he said that, I was like, baby, baby, yeah, we don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and so I tell you, I got, I got a real one. Like, I feel like I should put my hands up doing a praise <laughs> dance right now. That's crazy. I think you have a really important story from several angles. Yeah. That if there's any young people or people that are going through whatever, being black in corporate America, right. being gay in corporate America, right. being black and gay in the world, mm-hmm. uh, parents dealing with children who right. uh, you know might be gay or queer or whatever it is, or trans or what have you, right. like there's so many different angles here. What if you could encapsulate all of that into like one thing as mm-hmm. a lesson? Mm-hmm. Or as something that you've learned, right. like, do you know what that would be? Perseverance, I think, at the end of the day, um, when you know who you are and what you want to achieve out of life, persevering through all the obstacles helps you keep that in mind. I, again, as I said, having to do and to succeed um, has always been sort of just 
what's gotten me through. And if you just focus on who you are and what you want to achieve in life, you can't really get too hung up on what people think at the end of the day because one way that I approach life is that I can't do anything about what people have to say about me, but I can do, I can control, I can't control what people have to say about me, but I can control how my actions influence what they have to say. And so I try to carry myself in a way that is, you know, being on the up and up as much as I can be, trying to be a good person um, and just, you know, being focused on just doing the best that I, I can and being the best that I can be in my career. Um, so perseverance has sort of been a through line through all of the things that I've gone through. And I've learned that, you know, all the things that happen along the way are really preparing you for the destiny that you're meant for. So um, you just got to persevere through the negativity and try to, I guess, take control of how the negativity is making you feel and know that it's building you up to be something better than you are right now. There's a lot to be said for being your unapologetic true self. Uh, Will clearly was instilled unconditional love and confidence from day one, and that's allowed him to excel. Kudos to him for being a positive brother and a great example for any folks out there wondering whether things like sexuality and race might hinder their rise up the professional ladder. Will is all over social media. You can find him on Instagram at the one and you can find Certified, Sony Music's hip-hop and R&B catalog brand, at thisiscertified.com or this is certified on IG. If you're a bigger queer man of color, and or you are a fan of bigger queer men of color, and you like 90s and 2000s R&B and hip-hop, you might want to check out an event we'll help put together called the Heft Party. They are at the underscore heft underscore party on Instagram. Whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or on Podbean, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss another episode, and please use the hashtag DetoxPod if you're discussing the show online. Leave a review anywhere that you can, and tell your friends about Detoxicity if you think they'll enjoy it. Word of mouth is definitely the best promo I could have uh, as I'm starting this out. If you have any questions about the show, or if you'd like to be a guest, I am recording via Skype uh, during the COVID-19 crisis, so if you're not in New York, it's not a worry. Uh, Just shoot me an email, detoxpod at gmail.com. You can like this podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash detoxpod, or you can follow me on Instagram at it's Mike Joseph. Also, feel free to reach out via DM if you have any questions or comments about the show or if you want to be on the show. Extra important right now, stay safe, stay healthy, rely on each other. We got this. I'm Mike Joseph, and I thank you for listening. I'll catch you next time.